Behold series, I said last week, you know, that word behold means to give our attention to and to focus on. And, and behold, uh, we said last week is critical during the Christmas season because, you know, we can get so busy at Christmas that we, we don't behold, we don't give our attention to the birth of Jesus, and we can miss the entire season. And so I just said, hey, you know, let's take time to think about some things and how we can behold more of Jesus, not just at Christmas season, but throughout the year. Today, I want to share something from the Christmas message, the Christmas story that maybe you've never heard before, and, and, uh, and it's, it, yet it's in there very richly, and I want to unpack it a little bit with you today. I think uh, this will be very helpful for some of you right now. Before I get too far into that, what I want to say is that God does have a plan for your life to encounter him very powerfully and wonderfully. You, Christmas, right? You think about Christmas. Christmas, when you're growing up, can be a time of wonder. It can be very wonder-filled. And, and, and I think, you know, of course, as we get a little bit older, maybe things happen in life and maybe events happen. And, and maybe all of a sudden Christmas isn't as wonder-filled and wonderful as, as when we were growing up. I think that's a snapshot of life. When you're young, life seems wondrous. What, what am I going to do when I grow up? And all the dreams and hopes and then things happen in life and you don't feel as wonder-filled as maybe you once did, right? Like there's an awe to life and that awe can lead you to encountering life awesome or it can be awful. And, and I think so much of this, you know, just trying to understand what does God want? Well, God wants us to have the very best encounters, but when life happens, it can take the wonder out of your marriage, the wonder out of your business work, the wonder out of your heart, the wonder out of your life. We watch a movie uh, many times over the holidays in our home called It's a Wonderful Life. Can, can you say that you've discovered a wonder-filled life? So much of that journey that we are on to encounter that wonder-filled life has to do with following the ways of God. In fact, that's what I titled my topic here today is Behold the Ways of God. And what happens is, is many times you could come to church like this here on a weekend and hear a thought, a thing that maybe, man, I need to do that in my life. I need to experience God that way, some kind of way. And you hear that teaching, but it's you understand that there's so much of that journey that's ahead of you that you have to navigate in order for you to you encounter what it is that maybe you want to do differently in life, right? So I share something with you. You walk outside these doors. Now there's a navigation process to encounter the things that you heard that you want to encounter, a life navigation. Like, how am I, okay, I want to go there, what he said. I want to encounter what the pastor said, but, but what does the journey look like to get from here to there? And it's the journey that is so critical to that. You know, the navigation piece on our phones, we have apps now to navigate uh, we have Google Maps, right? We have app, uh, Apple, uh, their main app, just called Maps. So you Waze, W-A-Z-E. Anybody use Waze? Waze, very detailed, you know, thing about, you know, what's going on on the highways and best routes and things like that. Uh, I certainly have used all of those at times. I'm just enough old school, though, to look at some of those maps and go, Man, I know it's telling me to go that way, but I don't never go that way. You know, like, 
Before there was ever any kind of app, I always went this way. And I know where I'm going, and that's a whole man issue anyways. Like, I don't need nobody telling me any directions, you know. And so, like, I hear, this, hear what the map thing is telling me on the app, and I'm going, but wait a second. All those other years, I, you know, I went this way. And so I turn the app off and say, I'm going to do it my way. And, and then what I find out is that I'm, I, I'm going down a road where, there were two different accidents, and it's adding 45 minutes of a delay, and the app accounts for that, but I just ignored that. And again, I said, well, I want to do it my way. I did it my way. Is that a Sinatra song? <laughs> Aging myself a little further here, but I think we want to do that in life. I did it. I just want to do it. I want to do it my way. It says this in Proverbs 10:17. he who keeps instruction is in the way in the ways of life. But he who refuses correction, where do they go? They go astray. Another translation says it leads to destruction. Going astray from God leads to destruction. And this really is uh, an issue for us personally. It's like, okay, God, what are the ways now to get from here to there? What are the directions? What's the navigation process? And will I actually follow that? And here's the thing you need to remember. When I navigate poorly in the car and add 45 minutes to the drive because I'm not paying attention, it's not just me in the car. It, somebody else might be with me. And, and, and if my wife is with me, she's subjected to my idiocy. And if my kids are in the car, same thing. It's the same thing is true in life. If you're not following the ways of God, uh, you are bringing others with you down the wrong road that leads to destruction. Right, What we want to be as believers in Christ is to seek for greater. And here's the thing that happens. When greater begins to elevate, it brings others around them with them into greater. You, you have to understand, low level does not beget greater. If you want to live low level, you are not going to elevate others around you. Don't expect it. But if you want to raise the bar in your life, people will naturally gravitate to that raising of the bar. Are you seeking greater? Are you seeking the ways of God. God's goal for your life is first seek the kingdom of God and then let him navigate you to all these other things that he wants you to experience. Just so you know, if you're a part of our church, we want this for our church. We want you to elevate, raise up, experience higher, experience greater, so that not just the people who are closest to you can experience something greater, but as a whole church does that. If you do your part and I do my part and we all kind of rise up to something greater in the ways of God, what we do is become an even brighter light for our community who says, oh, I want that too. And so it's incumbent on each of us to work together in the body of believers to see this thing kind of elevate to the next level so others want to join us. How do we do it though? And I mentioned earlier this process of, of navigating is critical and in the story of Jesus' birth, people are going through some processes of trying to see, okay, God, what are your ways through all of this? You know that the angel comes and speaks to Mary and says, you know, man, you got some favor. You got some cool things. You know, I'm going to be right there with you. Here's what it says in Luke 1 and verse 30. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. 
for you have found favor with God. And behold, there's that word behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth, like focus on this, you're going to bring forth a son and the son shall call his name, uh, he, and shall call, they will call his name Jesus and he will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Whew, like, okay, I got your favor uh, giving birth to the seemingly the Messiah. I mean, there's a lot there and there's a lot of good there, but there's also a process in how do I go through this? Because of course, you know, there's a community of people who, are they gonna buy this? You know, are they gonna believe like she's pregnant before she's married? She didn't have any physical relationship with her man, but she's pregnant. And so was there another man? And oh, by the way, it's God's son. And so like, how, how do you navigate that? And, and I think for, for you and I, these are scenarios where God reveals to you and I and says, hey, I have something I want you to experience. All right. But then there becomes a bit of a dilemma of how to handle those experiences. What's the ways in which I'm going to follow God through this process. Do I really believe that, God, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, and that I'm going to go on that journey and trust you along the way? When we dig into the ways of God, it helps us, just like Mary, kind of navigate this, this journey. Let's talk about Joseph. I mean, my gosh, he, he now has to trust this whole thing that Mary's going through, and that his wife didn't have any physical sexual encounter with somebody else and that this is a virgin birth and that he is legitimately going to marry a virgin who also is having a baby and also it's God's son. And all of the ridicule that comes with that, like, do you really believe that? Man, you're nuts to keep her around. That does not sound like a real story. And how does he navigate that whole journey of, of being a part of this? But what I really want to focus on is the journey of a group of guys in the scriptures called the wise men. You've probably heard of the wise men and they had to navigate quite a bit. They're known as the magi as well. And there's a lot of things we can learn about them in the scriptures. They have to navigate, okay, there's a promise. And now they have to navigate how to follow through. Just so you know, all throughout the scriptures, this is how God does reveal himself. God says, I have a promise for you. Follow me in my ways and I'll reveal it to you, right? God comes to Abraham. Abram says, hey, I've got something for you. Leave what you know. Go into the unknown and I'll reveal it to you. And he has to trust that. God says, hey, to the people of Israel, God's children, hey, I want you to leave Egypt and I want you to make this journey to the promised land and I want you to trust me along the way. And they have to trust and follow the process, and so we see through uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, we see this journey of the Israelites going from here to there. And what we also see in the journey of the Israelites is that they spent 40 years in a bit of wandering for an 11-day journey. And I think that is a snapshot for you and I 
It says, okay, God says, I do want you to go from here to there, and this is maybe the length of time that it might take, and I don't want you wandering and wasting time in the process. It's possible there's somebody here today that not maybe, maybe many, many years ago, not recently, uh, God revealed something for you, but it's not maybe going the way that you thought, and, and I wonder how much of that is tied to, have you really followed his ways? And I'm not going to suggest that everybody's in that boat here, but there may be somebody who's in that boat where God did reveal something, and yet that journey is taking a bit longer, and perhaps it's by some of the actions and steps that take us away from God that has lengthened that journey. The journey of the Magi, uh, they are uh, hearing, you know, they're in this far east place, about a thousand miles away, and they hear from God, they hear from this, this sense of that there's this star that they need to follow, to trust this star, to trust this process, and begin to make a 1,000 mile journey all the way into, well, they get to Jerusalem, and then they get to, to Bethlehem. This thousand mile journey is, is a process for them to say, oh my gosh, like, we're on day 300 and something on this journey to get to Jerusalem, Bethlehem. Do, do we still trust to just follow God? I mean, it's a dark night. It's a dark day. One day leads to another and leads to another. And I know that you promised us that we would encounter this newborn king if we follow the star. But, but really? I mean, this is a long laboring journey. And life is like that, right? There's a promise, but there's a lot of labor Along the way, the magi, the wise men, they're not getting in a car to go follow a star. They're not getting on a plane or a train. They, they are making a 1,000-mile journey that's going to take them probably a year and a half, two years to make it all the way to where they need to be. And in this journey, their sole focus is that God, God has revealed something to us and we need to be at the feet of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So much in that for you and I. Following on a journey because we wanna be at the feet of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The scriptures say they come from these Eastern lands and they arrive in Jerusalem and there they encounter, of course, King Herod and they're telling King Herod, hey, you know what, we're, we're coming here to see this newborn king. We want to experience him. We've been trusting. We've come from a long way. And, and Herod hears about this and from them, and, and he gathers the scribes and the, the religious leaders of the day, and he says, hey, what's going on here? And he says, well, you maybe ought to pay a little bit of attention to this situation because the scriptures did say that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And if these guys are trying to get to Bethlehem for a newborn king, like there may be something to that. And Herod says, oh man, these wise men, if they're headed up to Bethlehem, let, let's find out what's going on there and then have them report back to us. It's interesting that you have these wise men trying to get to Bethlehem to see this newborn king of kings. They're on a mission. They are clearly adamant about following God on this journey. Thousand miles, and yet five miles away in Jerusalem, nobody's seeking it. You know, that's the distance between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Five miles away, nobody's really seeking what's going on in Bethlehem. But here's these guys who came 
a thousand miles away because they wanted to experience something from God. They hear that this Messiah is on the doorstep now as they've arrived in Jerusalem. They got to get there to experience this. Let's, let's go back to uh, that moment when they arrive in Jerusalem. It says this in Matthew 2, 9. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. And so now they're heading off to Bethlehem. They're going to go continue to follow that star till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then it goes on, and it's not going to be on the screen, but it says that they returned to their own country. Then later, uh, they went by another route, and every... Uh, and, and what they decided to do was take another way home because they did not trust the things that Herod was saying. I'm going to come to that a little bit later. But man, this is a really interesting moment here for these, these guys to finally now complete this mission that they have been on. And, and you, you need to know, and I, I, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble here. I do cover this. Some of you have heard me cover this before, but some of you haven't. But you, you understand that at the, we have these nativity scenes that have the three wise men. All right, they weren't there. I, I mean, maybe some wise men were, but the ones in the scriptures weren't there at the birth of Jesus. Okay, so, and, and you're not a bad person if that's in your nativity. I've got three nativity scenes at home and, and the wise men are in all of them, you know. But if you understand the text here and look at it a little more clearly, these three guys or whatever, the, the magi, however many we would say there might be, we, when we look at those guys and how far they came, a thousand miles, okay, to see the birth of Jesus, well, he's probably, because it took them probably a year and a half, two years, when they arrived to see this young child, he's probably a year and a half, two years old. So they do see this newborn king, but it's not in sort of the baby setting. But they have made that journey. They've arrived and they've come onto the scene. And I want to give you four things that you can make sure that, hey, this is what's going on on your own spiritual journey as God reveals something for you to go from here to there and all of the navigation along the way. I put this in your notes. Number one, seek God like the wise men. I, I don't know what opportunity you're seeking right now in your life. I don't know what you want to experience that would be greater in life. Maybe you're seeking a wife, a husband, you're seeking happiness, you're seeking peace, you're seeking all kinds of different things. The wise men, though, they're just simply seeking Jesus. If you're going to navigate your life, if you're going to go through the process and do it well in the ways of God, you've got to decide what things you're going to focus on first. And here's what Colossians 3.1 tells us. If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are where? Where are they? Above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. What is it that you're seeking right now? And in that journey, are you first seeking God along the way? As I, as I kind of ask you that question, it's important for you to remember that 
having somebody in your corner who has your best interest in mind is critical. Like in this life right now, I would just ask you, like thinking about all the people in your life right now, who in your life right now do you know has your best interest in mind? Ask yourself the question. As I look at the landscape of my life, as I consider my family of origin, as I consider my family of choice, as I consider the people that I work with, the people that know me, who can I say that I know in my life truly has, in their heart of hearts, my best interest in mind? And I can tell you, like, in your life, if that number is more than, like, two people on a hand, if that number is greater than two, consider yourself a very blessed person to have that kind of quantity of people who absolutely have your best interest in mind. Because you could work somewhere and the people you work with or lead you at work, they don't have your best interest in mind. You could be born up in a family and you know it could be very nice people, but they may not have your very best interest in mind, right? Your brother, your sister, you could be married to him and he may not have your best interest in mind. And this is important because having that mentality of like who's in my corner is critical. Now, I say all that to say this. If there's one person that has your best interest in mind, it is the one who created you and loved you so much that he gave his one and only son for the forgiveness of your sin. He died on the cross for you. That guy has your best interest in mind. And so this is why you want to be laser focused on God above all things because you can know uh, no matter what's going on in life, he is in your corner. He has your best interest in heart, at, at his heart and his desires for your life. He loves you deeply, cares about you deeply. When you're going through tough times, he's going to be right there. When you're going through brokenness, he's going to be right there. His opinion of you never changes. I want to focus on that because it's steady and the interest that it has for me in my life, my heavenly father. You've got to decide on the journey. What is your laser focus? Psalm 34 tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Like, just come on, man. It's, it's good. And we had a tradition, you know, when, when our girls turned, each of them turned one year old, we did, the, maybe some of you have done this as well, we give them their first birthday cake. And it's in that moment that they taste icing for the very first time. And they taste and see that icing is good. And their eyes... You know, we got photos like it, and they just can't get enough, and their face is covered, right? And what is happening? It's like wonderment is filling their, on their mind. Like, what am I tasting now for the very first time? On that journey with God, we taste and see that, hey, he is in our corner, and I trust that blessed is the man who trusts in him and honors the Lord, and that there is no, there's not any want in life for those who fear him, and I trust that those who seek the things of the Lord will never lack in any good thing. And if I seek him and I, I shall find him and if I ask, I shall receive. And if he stands at the door and knocks and I open, I will encounter him. And I say, okay, God, I want to have that in my corner in my life. Psalm 14 and verse 2 says, the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see. Are there any who understand? Is there anyone who's really seeking God? God's looking down right now at his children and saying, is there anybody here who's really seeking me first? Is there anybody here, that, like they got all these other motives in life, but I have your best interest in mind, God says. Do you have my best interest in mind? Are we navigating on this 
journey together. God's looking today, is there somebody who wants to go on this journey with him through all the highs and lows and say, you will focus on him above all things. We seek God like the wise men. The next thing in your notes is we believe the word. And that belief is the establishment of what is going to come next. And I'm going to share that with you in just a second. But the Bible says, of course, that faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But it starts by this belief and trusting in God's promises and his word. And, and the wise men are, are trusting God's word. They're trusting God's promises along the way. They believe there's something real to this. And so then they set out on their journey. And here's the next thing in your notes. Then they follow the star. And the following of the star is a portrait of, okay, not only do I believe that God has a promise, but I'm taking my steps. And this is what faith really looks like, right? Because I could say that I have faith, but the type of faith God is looking for and he's seeking amongst his people is a faith that takes an action step. The wise men see the star and they don't just say, oh, I love the star. Oh, that's really cool. They start taking the steps to follow. You do understand that if I tell my wife, I love you, Sean, I love you, I love you, maybe I love you so much, but then by my actions, they don't communicate the words that, you know, they're not, they don't match my words. You understand it's possible she could say this to me. I appreciate your words, but your actions are not backing up your words. I, she could say that to me. You, some of you, you've heard this yourself. And right, because it's the actions that do speak louder than our words. And that's really the same thing is true in our faith that, oh my gosh, I can say I believe, but what steps am I really taking? I, I think I should remind you that this is one of the great reasons why we started this church. You know, when we started this church, it had become very apparent that, you know, when you look at American culture and the church today, what was befalling the church was that it was filled with people who said they believed and said they had faith, but they were not taking the action steps, right? How does a church plateau or eventually die? The people start to gather and they just, they love to talk and they love to hear the message, but they're not applying the word to their life. And so we said, what we're going to do is we're going to consistently challenge our people to continue to take steps in that journey because that's how we will actually encounter the things of God in our life. Like when I push you to take some sort of step, it's because I want you to encounter the goodness of God in your life. And this is why the brother of Jesus, James, said, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. God says, I'm looking for people who believe in me enough to actually follow through and take the steps that they need to take to encounter me more. When we go back to the text a little bit and consider what was going on in the wise men, it says this in Matthew 2 and verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, here's kind of the beginning moment for the wise men. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Sorry, this is not the beginning moment. This is the moment they arrive and they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and come to worship him. I wanted to come back to that text because it does reference the star again. And that star was a visual representation that, hey, this is the place 
to go to encounter the presence of God, to encounter the Messiah. And here's a question that people have tried to answer, and there's been books written about it. Why was it during that time the only people to really see the star were the wise men? Again, five miles away is Jerusalem. Why aren't they flocking to Bethlehem seeing the star? And I think it's a great question, but I think the answer really lies in just this statement. They were looking for something that no one else was searching for. They were searching to be at the feet of Jesus. Folks, this is a secret to life's greater it's the secret to life's greater successes. You want to be more successful in marriage. You want to be more successful in business. You want to be more successful in life. Ultimately, you want to be more successful in the kingdom of God. It starts by seeking the presence of God, the focus, the laser focus on the things of God. That star, that focus for your life and where God is bringing you to, staying focused on him. There's a great prophecy in Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17 that references the star and, and Jesus. And here's what it says, you know, long before Jesus came, this prophet, and you should know the prophet that gives this prophecy, his name is Balaam. He's, he's a non-Israelite prophet and he has a very unusual distinction in history. And so I won't go into that too deeply, but he has this prophecy about what is to come through through Jesus. And he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but he's not near. Here it is. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter, a king shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab. That's a reference to bad, bad things, the, the things of the enemy and destroy all the sons of tumult. So here's a prophecy, and this prophecy, you need to know when it's happening in this moment in history, when that prophecy goes forth. It's happening in a time where the Israelites, you know, they've left Egypt, it's been 40 years, and they're on the cusp of claiming that land that God had promised them along the way. And one of the things that's happening with the Israelites is they are whipping some opponents as they get close. And now they're approaching this people in this place called Moab, and Moab has gotten wind that the Israelites are, are doing some business. And now this guy, he, you know, these, these, these Israelites, uh, as they're making their way, getting close to Moab, the king of Moab, his name is Balak, he says, oh my goodness, I need to get somebody up in here to kind of help me curse the Israelites before they get here and so they don't whip us. And so he calls out to Balaam, this prophet, to come in and curse the people of Israel, the Israelites, and to maybe cause something bad to happen. Here's what you need to know. When Balaam is offered all this money and come and, and curse the Israelites, he keeps coming and over and over they send for him and he keeps arriving and he refuses to curse the Israelites. He's like, I am not cursing them. No, they are God's people. They are God's chosen people. They are a blessed people. Sorry, Balak, over and over again. Sorry, Balak, I am not talking bad about the Israelites. I'm not gonna speak ill of God's people. I'm sorry, Balak, but you and your people of Moab, you're in trouble. But I also think it's important to remember, how did he get to this position where he actually said, I am not cursing the people of Israel. 
Well, he got there, if you know this moment in history, he got to that point where he understood the words that he needed to say because a donkey helped him. I know some of you are like, what? You're going to hear and just say, I'm going to tell you, the donkey talked to this man. And there's some people who go, that seems ridiculous, a donkey talking to a human. Okay, well, Jesus was born of a virgin. You don't have a problem with that. And he's protecting your soul eternally. And, oh, by the way, he created everything. You don't think for a moment in time in history he can utilize a donkey to help? So I take it for its word here. And here's what's happening in this moment. It's really fascinating. When he gets told to come to do the cursings in Moab and to, to Balak and all the things that, that the king wanted and he refuses, uh, he gets to that point because on his way kind of there in this first occasion, there's this donkey that he's riding that takes him off road and starts running into things, running into walls, running into bushes. And the prophet Balaam who's riding on the donkey goes, Look, what are you doing? He starts beating the donkey. And the donkey's like, hey, hey, why are you beating me, man? Haven't I been good to you? And Balaam's like, you haven't. You're terrible. You're running me off the road. And the donkey says, the only reason I'm running you off the road is because you're not paying attention to God. And God sent an angel on that road to get your attention so that you wouldn't go do something foolish and curse God's people. And you didn't see it, but the, but the donkey says, I saw it. And I'm just trying to get your attention that you pay attention to the angel of the Lord. I put this in, in my notes in thinking about that moment. That donkey had Balaam's best interests in mind. And I put this down. If you're going to navigate life well, you better pay attention to your donkey. Because <laughs> there's a lot of donkeys around us. And you, you, they, this, this donkey clearly has Balaam's best interests in mind. And it's powerful, but you can roll with some people in life who do not have, I said this earlier, your best interests in mind. And you can get a lot of things in your mind and see things and experience things. By choice, you're choosing to hear and listen to the wrong things. And you can miss great moments of God and how God is trying to guide you in the process because you're so busy paying attention to the wrong donkeys. You want to see some donk stuff? Go on Facebook and spend all your time there. People are screaming. These unhealthy things, and all of a sudden, you, you're, you're hearing the wrong intake, right? You're watching the news, 247. You got the wrong intake as people are screaming, and you're missing out on the things of God. I, I heard it said once from a leader he talked about many, many years ago when people, uh, you know, we didn't have these Facebook wall or other social media walls to post on. Back then, what people did was they used graffiti, and they spray paint it on walls. They still do this today. You know, in some urban settings, they have artistic settings where they let people do the graffiti in kind of an artistic way. But when I start talking about spray painting graffiti in unwanted places, I think you know what I'm talking about. It still exists today. But that person said, said to, uh, it just kind of made this, this comment, don't ever roll with people who spray things like that in graffiti because when they do that, they're doing it because it's the only mark they are ever going to leave in life. They are screaming out and nobody is listening to them, and so they result to that. And people who are healthy and people who are seeking greater, they don't have to do that because the way they're living their life, people want to be near them. People want to be around them. 
and you should be that person that people want to be around, but you should also make sure you're around people that are healthy and are not giving you the wrong donk in your life. Don't get around no nasty Donkey Kongs. You have to pay attention. If you want to live the ways of God, you've got to focus on God. You have got to trust in his word. You've got to follow that star. Now that star, as I, before I close out, let me just tell you about that star real quick. The star is really not about the star. The star is about something bigger. The star represents the presence of God. All right, the Israelites, when they left Egypt, as God was guiding them, they followed a cloud by day and a what? A fire by night. So it's not about the star. It's not about the cloud. It's not about the fire. It's about the representation of the presence of God. Making sure you're on a path in your life to encounter the presence of God. And guess where the presence of the Lord led the wise men to Beth? which means the house of bread. It is the place where Jesus is born. The Bible says he is the bread of life. The Bible says he's coming from Bethlehem and ultimately the house of David, and he's going to be a part of the bread of life for all of humanity. Well, when you and I here today in 2023, we're, like, like, we're not trying to follow the presence of God to Bethlehem, but we're gonna follow the presence of God regularly in our lives to his house where the bread of life comes forth. Amen. I'm talking about the church. The church is one of those places where God is navigating you in your life and you're trusting him along the way to be in his house because there's a power in the presence of God and you want to follow that in your life. The problem is, in America today, the new surveys say that people who call themselves Christians in America today only tend church one out of four weeks. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir and there's nobody here that would do that. Like, you are all, you're here all the time, Right? But like, how serious are you taking the presence of God and coming to his house and following him to his house so that you can encounter him? Of course, you can encounter him away from the house of God, but this is one element of your life that allows you to make sure you're around the right people, right place, right time, experience the presence, experiencing the presence of God. Would you be willing to put a premium on following that journey and making sure you are in the presence of God regularly, including in his house. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the wise men were seeking God, his presence, seeking to be at the feet of Jesus. Don't seek a better spouse. Don't seek a better opportunity. Don't seek a better job. Seek God. And then the Bible says, and all these things will be added unto you. And be careful. Because there are a lot of Christians running around and they like to say very nice things and they believe some nice things. But some of them are following the wrong star. And some of them are on the wrong donkey. And some of them are listening to the wrong voices and they are saying the wrong things. Now here's the last thing in your notes. You gotta be willing to be rerouted. Be willing to be rerouted. And we see that amongst the wise men. They they have this encounter with Jesus, and then, you know, I'll, I'll read it to you. Matthew 2, 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They worship Jesus, but in order to experience everything that's next, they, they need to go a different way. And for some of you, you're on this thing in life where you want to encounter God more and whatever your journey and your situation and your dilemma looks like, 
this morning is probably very different than somebody else's, but if you're going to stay on the right path, you may have to go down a different path. Or if you're gonna find the right path, you may have to go down a different path. And it reminds me of a very famous uh, text. It's called an autobiography in five chapters. And some of you who are maybe going through like recovery or celebrate recovery or something like that, you may have heard of this, but I'll just share it with you. It's autobiography in five short chapters. Here it is, chapter one. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk and I fall in. I'm lost, I'm helpless, it isn't my fault. It takes me forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It takes me a long time to get out. Chapter three, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it, I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are wide open. I know where I am because I've been here before, but this time I acknowledge it's my fault and I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around. Chapter five, I walk down a different street. And I think for some of you to encounter the fullness of God, like there may be a different path you need to decide to take if you're gonna experience him on that journey. I don't want you having an 11-day journey and taking 40 years to get there. And these keys, I think, from the wise men give us a lot of information on how to handle that process. We have an adversary, Satan, who wants to play you like a pawn on a chess table. And he wants to get you away from your purpose. He wants you to get away from awesome and into awful he wants to get you into negative things. He wants to stir those negative emotions tied to your past and have you sink into them again, over and over again. Negativity, brokenness, mistakes. He wants you to get out of line and out of whack and take you away, put you in a pit and let you live pitiful. But you have a heavenly father that says, if you'll focus on me, you'll see your unique design for your life. You'll recognize you're a part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people given a unique design. And you don't have to live in a thing where you're going down the same street, going through the same messes. There's a new way to go. And so this morning, as God is revealing something through this powerful Christmas moment, Christmas story, I hope you're applying it to your own life to say, okay, where am I? on that journey. Let's pray together. God, we come to you right now. There's somebody in our room and, and this looks different for them, but they they just, just not focused on your presence and following you and your word, God. They're, they're seeking a lot of things in life, but God, you're not first. And they're just they're just coming to this realization, God, God, I'm ready today to start putting you first, seek you first and all these other things. God, that you want to reveal to me begin to happen. I just want to focus on you, God. Follow you, be in your presence. Perhaps there's a Christian here, and it's very likely there are many. You know there's a route that is healthy in the ways of God, and you need to seek that right route. You need to find his ways, not W-A-Z-E, but W-A-Y-S. And say, God, I want to know where you want me to go. I'm going to reroute. I'm committing to that today because I want to encounter you more richly on this journey and what you have for me. God, there's probably very likely an unbeliever amongst us. Every weekend at every service, we always have people 
amongst us who are not believers. And this morning, there's maybe somebody, you very clearly know you're on the wrong route. And God can do what he's been doing for 2,000 years through the gift of Jesus Christ in a moment, in an instant, through the forgiveness of your sin. God can cleanse you of your sin and allow you to kind of make a commitment to start following him. It can happen just right where, where you're seated. People always say, is it that easy? It's that easy. And so right now, there's somebody here. You, you need to receive the forgiveness of your sin so that you can get on that right route for the first time in your life. You just where you're at, say, God, I, I admit that I have chosen the wrong route in life. I've sinned, I've fallen short on that journey of life, but God, I'm ready to follow your journey, your plan, your unique design for my life. I'm ready to get out of this pit and go from awful to awesome because I'm gonna be forgiven of my sin. I'm gonna experience you for the first time in my life. God, I accept the gift of Jesus Christ who not just didn't come to the manger but grew up, died on the cross and rose from the dead to show me that my sin could be forgiven and that my life could be eternally with you, God. I am ready to receive that forgiveness today. I turn to you for this new journey in life in Jesus' name, amen.